Have you ever wondered why exactly it is that things usually sound better at home than they do on stage, in auditions, or even in lessons? It's easy to chalk it up to nerves or assume that you just have to practice more or get more performance experience. And sure, those things certainly are part of the puzzle, but a lot of times that's not really the true root cause. If you've been confused by the inconsistency of your performances, I put together a free four-minute quiz called the Mental Skills Audit, which will help you pinpoint your mental strengths and weaknesses and figure out what exactly to adjust and tweak in your preparation for more consistently optimal performances. You can take the Mental Skills Audit online at bulletproofmusician.com MSA. That's MSA for Mental Skills Audit. And again, it's 100% free, and it'll take just four minutes to get your results emailed to you as a PDF. This is Noah Kageyama, and you're listening to the Bulletproof Musician Podcast. Every Sunday morning, we'll take a look at a new research-based tip or technique to help you practice more effectively or perform better under pressure. And on the first Sunday of every month, I'll have a guest from the music, sport, or research world who will share their insights on how we can all be a little more awesome in the practice room and on stage. I'm not sure why it began appearing in their YouTube feeds, but in the last few weeks, my kids have become mildly obsessed with a channel called Two Set Violin, run by Australian violinists Brett Yang and Eddie Chen. Partly educational, partly comedy, videos range from blind listening tests of different levels of violins and bows to sight-reading challenges and tag-teaming Paganini's 24th Caprice with Hilary Hahn while hula-hooping. Anyhow, one of the videos that my kids enjoyed was a game of Guess the Violinist Charades, which basically involves playing in the style of various different performers and seeing if the others could guess who they were impersonating. And I know audio doesn't really do this game justice, but here's a short clip to give you a taste of what it was like. It's clearly lots of fun, but could this actually be good for more than just fun and laughs? Like, could there potentially be some playing-related benefits to a few rounds of musical charades? Whether it's music, architecture, or theoretical physics, we generally think of creativity and originality as highly desirable skills. Yet historically, there has been a tendency to assume that creativity is a fixed trait, something that we have to be born with. In recent years, however, researchers are finding that creativity may actually be much more fluid and malleable than previously thought, and that we're capable of being much more creative than we give ourselves credit for. But how exactly? How do we unlock our creative abilities? A pair of researchers at the University of Maryland conducted two studies which explored the idea that some constraints on creativity are self-imposed. They recruited 96 undergraduate students in biology, physics, art, and theater, and had them complete the uses of objects task. This is a standard test, often given to measure creativity, where participants are given a list of objects, like book, fork, trumpet, 
caret, sandals, and asked to generate as many uses for each of these objects as possible in two minutes. Before beginning the task, however, a third of the participants were asked to imagine that they were, quote, an eccentric poet as they completed the task. Another third were asked to imagine that they were, quote, a rigid librarian. And the last third were simply given the task instructions with no role to imagine. I should probably note that obviously these are stereotypes, so it's not like librarians are actually rigid and uncreative in real life, but in their pilot testing, the researchers did find that undergrads think of poets as creative, uninhibited, and eccentric, while they think of librarians as uncreative, rigid, or inflexible, hence the choice of these two particular stereotype roles. Creativity was then measured in two different ways. The number of uses generated for each object was one measure, and the other involved determining how similar or dissimilar the uses were to each other. Like, saying you could use a fork to eat chicken and also eat steak would not represent as much originality as saying you could use a fork to eat chicken, and then you could also use a fork to fling peas across the cafeteria like a catapult. So, was there any difference between the groups? The short answer is yes. On average, the rigid librarians generated about 60 total uses for the 10 objects, while the control group generated about 78 uses, and the eccentric poets generated just over 92 uses. Likewise, when it came to originality of ideas, the rigid librarians had the lowest originality score, while the control group was in the middle, and the eccentric poets had the highest originality score. And were there any differences in creativity scores between the different majors? Yeah, I couldn't help but wonder this myself and totally snuck a peek at the breakdown in scores by major. And while there were some differences in the major's average scores, the researchers didn't say anything about the difference being statistically significant. So presumably, there wasn't any sort of systematic difference in creativity between the different majors. That said, and take this with a grain of salt since it may be nothing, the theater majors did score the highest on average, which kind of makes sense to me because I'd imagine that having to do improv and interact with props and such would make this particular creativity task feel a lot more familiar than it might have to the others. Anyhow, the researchers then repeated this study with a whole different set of participants, where this time each participant completed the first half of the creativity task as a poet and the second half as a librarian, or vice versa. And did this enable the participants to flip their creativity switch, as it were? Once again, the answer was yes. While imagining themselves to be librarians, they generated 27 and a half uses. While poets, they generated almost 35 uses. And as in the first study, the originality scores of their responses were also significantly higher when imagining themselves to be poets than librarians. So what are we to take away from all of this? I was pretty fascinated by how quickly the individuals in this study were able to get into a more creative headspace once some of the self-imposed constraints had been removed with the imagine you are instructions. This technique has since been referred to as psychological Halloweenism. And it seems to me that this is essentially what the game of musical charades is all about. So whether it's looking for a new way to approach a piece that's feeling stale, or searching for a different way to phrase a passage that never felt quite right, maybe what you need is not more slow practice, or deliberate practice, or score study, 
but a quick game of musical charades with some buddies to help you get unstuck and discover new creative elements to add to your playing. But one quick note before you go and round up some friends to play this with. And that's that I think there should be some balance, meaning there should probably be some attempt to play somewhat reasonably well, like where you try to play your best within the parameters of the musician's approach. So it's not just about copying the mannerisms of an artist with no regard to the quality of your playing. If you'd like to watch the complete Musical Charades video, I've linked to it in the post, which you can find at bulletproofmusician.com slash blog. And one more thing before signing off for today. I hope you've found the podcast helpful and given you new tools to add to your practice and performance preparation. But I know that it can often be difficult to take a new idea and actually put it into action. So if you've been wanting to perform more consistently at the upper edges of your ability, but haven't been sure exactly what or how to adjust in your practice in order to make that happen, today might be the ideal time to start learning the mental skills and practice techniques that can help you get there. And how's that exactly? Well, today is the last day of the annual Beyond Practicing 2 for 1 event. In case you're new to the podcast, Beyond Practicing is the online home study version of the psychological skills courses that I teach at Juilliard. And if you sign up before midnight tonight, that is Sunday, December 8th, you'll get a second account for free. And why would you need a second account? Well, whether it's playing tennis or going vegan, having a training buddy can not just be a lot of fun, but help a ton with the learning process. And with a second bonus account that you can gift to a friend or colleague, you and your training buddy can work through the course together, comparing notes, supporting and coaching each other as you progress through the various exercises and techniques. To learn more about Beyond Practicing and take advantage of the two-for-one offer, go to bulletproofmusician.com slash beyondpracticing.